Good day. This is Brother Jim Ellis coming to you from Dispensational Ministries podcast. I've entitled this message and several messages to come a series I've entitled A Call to Service. This will be the first in this coming series. It'll be centered in our motivations and reasons why we should be as God's people busy serving the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord. If there ever was a time in history of this country, America, when God's people need to take a determined stand for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that time is most certainly now. When I see some of the heartbreaking situations and lives of so many men and women, my heart cannot help but ache for them. And it aches because I know in many, many cases, those situations do not have to exist as they do. They do not have to exist because so many of those situations exist due to things that were done and decisions were made outside the will and standards of God. And those decisions made outside the will of God bring consequences that produce these heartbreaking circumstances of life. Our decisions of life always have consequences. And if those decisions are repeatedly made outside the plan and the program and the standards of God for us, they will most certainly have devastating consequences. Jesus Christ is said in the Word of God to be the hope of the world. But the communication of of that hope that is in Him to a lost world has been committed to every child of God. It is our divine responsibility to tell others what we have in Him and the hope that we have in the truth of God. It is our divine responsibility to teach others the only truth path of life which will avoid the thousands of devastating consequences which can and will come to all those who ignore the truth of God and His divine standards of life and practice. There's an old saying which goes something like this. If one plays with fire, they're going to get burned. No one can play with the fires of sin and rebellion against the righteous standards of a holy God and avoid the burning consequences. No one. If we who know and have the truth of God as it has been entrusted to us in God's holy word, if we do not communicate that truth, how else would men and women know the truth? The truth of God, that is the only hope for all of mankind, must be without apology, sounded out, and relentlessly preached and taught to all men and women. They must be warned of the consequences of ignoring the great truths of the Bible. That is just not the job or responsibility of men who've been called to preach. 
It is also the divine responsibility of every person who claims to be blood-washed, born-again, children of the living God. Allow me to ask you, if we don't do it, if we don't do it, who will? The truth is it will not get done and the misery and the devastation of sin will only continue to scourge and vandalize and terrorize the lives of men and women and young people everywhere from one end of America to the other. I entitled, as I said, this series of messages, I call to service. And I hope that will be its end result. I call to men and women who are saved and who know the truth of God will Get on board and dedicate yourselves to the furtherance of the truth of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is this nations of young and even old men and women. He is the only hope that anyone has. There's an internal plague of sorts that has inflicted millions of young people and many, many older men and women throughout this land. In spite of all the material and social and recreational advantages we enjoy in America, this internal struggle is very real. And I believe it has become to be in epidemic proportions. Despite all the modern conveniences and wealth and even extra leisure time that we have in America, so very many young people and older men and women are simply not happy. They struggle with a kind of internal restlessness and a real sense of dissatisfaction in their lives. Far too many are looking for some outward solution to their inward problems. But my friend, outward things cannot satisfy the inward maladies of life. No amount of fame or fortune or wealth or Recreational practice. Nothing enjoyed from our outer man can satisfy the inward problems that many, many experience. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can cure that inward struggle and strife that so many have inside themselves. Emotional healing can only come from within. And only the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit of God, can take care of those internal problems. Paul wrote the following verse to a young man named Timothy. He says in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy was a young man when he was called to preach on the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Timothy served with Paul for about 20 plus years, and he was faithful to Paul right up till Paul's execution in Rome. Paul was a prisoner in Rome for the second and final time when he wrote this book, and Timothy was ministering in the city of Ephesus where Paul had founded the church of Ephesus. Apparently, The persecution that was there when Paul founded the church was still underway. When Timothy was ministering there some almost 20 years later, 
Paul wrote 2 Timothy as a means of support and encouragement and as a guide to Timothy in his ministry. Paul said to Timothy in his introduction to this book, I thank God who I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. It seems that Paul was concerned that Timothy, well, because of the persecutions and oppositions that he was facing in Ephesus, was in danger of giving up and abandoning his ministry there. He writes to Timothy to encourage him to continue and not give up and to remain steadfast in the doctrines he had received from the Apostle Paul. This verse, verse 8 that we just read, Paul gives four reasons to Timothy for staying and continuing in the fight of the gospel. He was telling him to get and stay in the fight for the lives of all men and women everywhere, to not give up, don't give in, don't stop. Start and endure. All throughout the book of 2 Timothy, he gives Timothy motivations to continue on in the fight for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this particular verse, there are four of these motivations. The first one is the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said previously in another book that he wrote to Timothy, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. In other words, wrap your arms around the life that God is giving you and hold dear. Appreciate, be thankful for that life. And he continues on. Whereunto there are also called and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in times he shall show, who is a blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says over in the book of Second Corinthians, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That is, all dead in trespasses and sin. Paul said in another place that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he continues on in Second Corinthians says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The one great and motivational reason for serving the Lord Jesus Christ in the furtherance of his gospel is the death of Jesus Christ for you and for me and our sin. At some point, everyone who's involved in a serious service to the Lord Jesus, they're going to face opposition, perhaps afflictions, insults, 
disappointments and even heartbreaks. And when they do, many will look around and ask themselves, why am I doing this? Why am I putting up with all these afflictions? Why don't I just walk away? What's the benefit of all this to me? Well, the truth is, there's seldom any current benefit to you and what you're attempting to do for him. Well, not now anyway. The chances are, few will ever know or even appreciate what you're doing or going through. Even fewer will care about the sacrifices you have and are making for the cause of Jesus Christ. You'll receive very few pats on the back or accolades of any kind. There will most likely never be any songs or movies written about you and your sacrifices. Very few people will ever be sympathetic to your afflictions and the cause of Christ. The problems and privations you are going through or will go through will simply be lost to history. Well, that's at least for the time being. But if that is the reason we serve our Lord, then we are serving him in vain. There is one. If our motivation for service is what it should be, who will always take notice of you and your afflictions. Nothing you will ever do from a sincere heart will ever go unnoticed in heaven. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the joy which shall be revealed in us. He said in another part, another place, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If recognition and appreciation from other people is our motivation, then we're in the wrong business. If being in the forefront and gaining prominence with people is what drives and motivates us in our Christian service, then we're just wrong, and we need to get our motives right with God. Our greatest motivation to endure and continue on in our service to the Lord Jesus Christ is Calvary. In the later part of Matthew, the book of Matthew, Jesus begins preparing his apostles and disciples for his rejection and crucifixion. Most of what he says to them prior to the cross and his resurrection, they did not fully understand, but he told them they would. There would come a time when they would understand, but not until after he descended back and the comforter, who's the Holy Spirit of God, came and caused them to understand those things he had spoken. In the last few chapters of the book of Matthew, it records the final days of the Lord Jesus. They go up into the upper room and prepare the meal of the Passover for the Lord Jesus and his disciples. Judas, who betrayed the Lord Jesus, leaves that last supper, and he goes out and sees the high priest and betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus eats that Passover meal with his disciples. Then he goes out in the middle of the night to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. While he was in that garden, 
Judas brings a host of armed men from the high priest and takes Jesus into custody as a prisoner. Jesus is taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, and a bogus trial is conducted. Matthew 26, 65 says, Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. It goes on to say, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now in the following verses, Pilate tried to get out of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. He even offered him them someone else. But he knew that he was about to crucify an innocent man. But the Jews forced his hand. Chapter 27, verse 22 says, Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumor was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. That took place after he had been scourged. His back was no doubt bloody from where the flesh had been ripped from his back due to the scourging. The Romans used what they called a cat of nine tails to whip their victims. It was pieces of leather that had placed inside the, wet, the leather sharp pieces of glass and bone attached to it. So every time it was laid to the back of their victims, flesh and muscle would be torn from their victim with every blow. And it would tear that flesh and that muscle from their backs. The back of the Lord Jesus Christ would have been a shed, a, a, a shredded mess of torn and bleeding flesh and muscle. It goes on to say, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed to me the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hell, King of the Jews. The crown they put on the head of Jesus would have been a crown of woven briars with sharp, spike-like ends, maybe as long as five inches. And when they smote him on the head with that reed, the spikes would have been driven into the head of the Son of God. 
it says, and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Despite all of the pain and physical sufferings, there's perhaps no greater insult to a man than the spit on him. It is insulting and degrading and humiliating and grossly spiteful. But Jesus Christ endured all of that for you and for me. It goes on to say, and after that they mocked him. They took the robe off off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. By this time, the blood from his back would have been dried to the robe. And when they tore that robe from the back of the Son of God, more blood and more flesh would have been ripped from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ with its removal. And all those wounds from the scourging would have opened back up and more blood would have effused from the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scarlet robe was a mockery of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scarlet was the color of royalty. Isaiah 56 or 50 verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. Some Roman soldier looked at the Lord Jesus and he said, what are you doing with that beard? Roman soldiers were strong and powerful men physically. They trained their entire lives. It was not uncommon for them to march hundreds and hundreds of miles with several hundred pounds of equipment strapped to their bodies. And this Roman soldier looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and he took hold of the beard of the Son of God with both hands And he pulled out from the face of the Lord Jesus Christ handfuls of his beard. That's one of the reasons Isaiah 52 says his visage or his countenance, his face, was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. With that handfuls of hair that they pulled from his face that came fresh and Blood mixed in with that hair is that flesh was ripped from the faith of the Son of God. Bible goes on to say, and they came out and they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear the cross. And they went on and they took the Lord Jesus Christ out to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingle with gall. And after he tasted it, he refused to drink anymore. Bible says, and they crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots. And sitting down, they washed him there. And set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then were two thieves crucified with him one on the right hand and one on the the left. And they that passed by, reviling, wagging their heads. That's an expression of, well, you've just gotten the punishment that was coming to you. you. You're getting what you deserve. That's what the people who walked by 
was saying to the Lord Jesus. The indignity, spite, and humiliation that Jesus the Christ experienced is unimaginable and disgraceful. These men did this to the very God who created them and who gave and sustained their life. They went on, and the Bible says in saying, that is, the people who crucified Jesus, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from that cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from that cross. And we will believe him. Well, they were lying even then. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he saith, I am the son of God. If the Lord Jesus Christ had called forth his angels and came down from that cross, every redeemed, blood-washed, born-again child of God who's been promised heaven forever, Every last one who hath lived and died the last 2,000 years would be suffering the torments of hell right now. We are, or we who are right now alive and are born again believers in Jesus Christ, we would right now have no hope. We would still be in our sins. And all those Old Testament saints of God whose sins have been merely covered by the blood of bulls and goats would have been taken out of paradise and cast into hell fires with no hope of redemption. Thank our God that our Lord Jesus stayed on that cross. He paid our sin debt to God. And now, well now, we can shout, redeemed, redeemed. I am redeemed. Glory to God in the highest. The Bible says that the sixth hour there came darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. About 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And about that, the ninth hour, the Bible says, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As God poured out the raft and judgment of sin into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, it may very well be that the Trinity of God was separated for a brief time. Separated because Jesus Christ, the Bible says, became sin for us, and the righteous nature of God cannot be made sin. At the very least, the binding fellowship of the Trinity of God was broken for a period of time. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That question that Jesus asked while he was on the cross was later on answered in God's progressive revelation. He asked that question not because he didn't know. He knew. But so that we could later know and understand why he died that day on Calvary. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, Paul tells us that. Paul said, for he hath made him to be sin for us 
who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus hung on that cross, and about the third hour, He cried with a loud voice, and He yielded up the ghost. John says that when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head, and He gave up the ghost. Remember what Isaiah said, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. The Lord Jesus Christ did not hang his head in shame and fear and disgrace. He faced his tormentors with dignity and courage. When they spit in his face, he looked them in the eye. When they plucked the beard from his cheeks by the handfuls, he did not hide his face from them. He did not cower in front of them. The Bible says his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Yet he faced the spite and the shame of it all with dignity and nobility and majesty and honor before his tormentors. He was ridiculed and scorned and scoffed and laughed at, yet he opened not his mouth in retaliation and spite. He never begged for mercy. He never pleaded for pity. And he never employed his tormentors to stop the torture. Remember what Paul said to Timothy? I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Jesus, or Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Many places in the book of Isaiah spoke about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was to come? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Before that, he said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. When Jesus cried, it is finished, no one there that day understood the full extent of what had just taken place on the cross of Calvary. Darkness covered the land that day for three solid hours. It was a dark and dismal time in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the good news is, it did not stay dark. The veil of darkness was lifted and the light once again came through the darkness. That preparation day, the Lord of all glory died for our sins. He took our place in death and punishment. He hung on that cross between us and an angry God and he took the wrath of God into his very body for us. He became our shield, our wall, our rock, our hiding place, our insulation, and covered us from the raft of a righteous God. He became sin for us in our place in his own body on that tree. Like an innocent lamb, devoid of the dark blemishes of sin, he willingly went to Calvary. And he allowed his precious blood to effuse from his body unto the sands of Golgotha for our sins. 
Listen to some of the things that Apostle Paul said concerning the death of the Lord Jesus. He says, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, but God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely giveth all things? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproacheth thee fell on me. Those are all quotes of Paul from the book of Romans. He goes on in 1 Corinthians, and through thy knowledge shall not the weak brother for perish for whom Christ died. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Forth made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to attain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Paul again later says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For there's one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. No man took the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He willingly and lovingly gave himself for us in humility and compassion and love. Those are just a few of the verses given by the Apostle Paul, 
which in one way or the other teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. He became sin for us. That he died for our sin. He took our place. He became our substitute in the wrath of God. He paid our sin debt to God for us. Those people who were seated at the foot of the cross, those people walking by, wagging their heads, those Roman soldiers who took part in all that, they did not and could not have known what was taking place that day at Calvary. We know now it was the most momentous event in all of mankind's history. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, came to earth, died for our sins on that cross. My friend, if you are saved, if your sins have been forgiven, if heaven is now your eternal destiny, if you are a child of the living God by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then there can be no greater motivation for serving our Lord and our Savior and our God than that which took place that day 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Jesus Christ died for our sins. But before He ever went to the cross, He suffered shame and scourging and pain and disfiguration unlike any man before or after him. Should not, because he gave his life for us, should not we in turn give and devote our lives to serving him. And we do that with those in mind who do not have what we have in Jesus Christ, those who are lost and undone and wayward and who are facing the wrath of a holy God because they are not in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite little short poems says this. On him almighty vengeance fell that would have sunk a world to hell. He bore it for a chosen race and then became their hiding place. What could be more motivating than the death and sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin? He had no sin of his own. He did not die for his sin. He suffered and he died for our sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God. In him. God bless you. May the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the host, the Holy Ghost, be with you all.